start off the prayer om sahana bhavatu sahana bhunaktu sahaviryam karavavahai ಗುಡ್ ಮಾರ್ನಿಂಗ್ ಗುಡ್ ಈವ್ನಿಂಗ್ ವೆಲ್ಕಮ್ ಸೊ ದಿಸ್ ನಥಿಂಗ್ ಟು ಸಮರೈಸ್ ಫಾರ್ ದಿಸ್ ವೀಕ್ ಬಿಕಾಸ್ ಲಾಸ್ಟ್ ವೀಕ್ ಈಚ್ ಒನ್ ಆಫ್ ಅಸ್ ಸಮರೈಸ್ ಇನ್ ಅವರ್ ಓನ್ ವರ್ಡ್ಸ್ ವಾಟ್ ವಿ ಡಿಡ್ ಇನ್ ಚಾಪ್ಟರ್ ಟು uh there were a few uh, who did not uh, join last week and uh, if you folks would like to take the extra 3 minutes sometime maybe uh, in some other week coming up uh, either this week uh, today itself or some other time later on let me know happy to schedule that 3 3 minutes slot for all of you and who did not do it and uh, would love to hear from hear what you said so um with that i think uh, today we are uh, Uh, beginning to start the new uh, book uh, atma bodha uh, this is uh, uh, something the the book that uh, uh, you know, we dis- we discussed and we decided that this probably something will be a good digression after we finish chapter 2 so uh, without much ado you know i'm going to let uh, any one of us kick off this with your aha moments from the verses 1 to 4 that we are talking about my aha moments were all examples i think they were so apt i mean you can just visualize that example and i think you feel oh yes this is all three of them that he used i think you know that the cooking example sun self revealing and then only the dark the light can remove the darkness you know the way he describes it can be 1000 year old i mean however long the darkness has been a small candle is enough to bring the light there and not any other means of taking the darkness out all the examples were spot on and then just just make you pause and think that was i felt was very good you know i also felt one other thing when i was reading those examples was that uh, uh, something that um, that we all learned in physics right you know when when if you want to if you want to apply force and if you want to apply any force on an object that's moving in uh, you know let's say in x direction if you apply force in any other direction it won't work right so somehow that's that stuck in my head i don't know whether the analogy is right or wrong but somehow it stuck in my head too and and exactly the same way he says the knowledge is the only antidote for ignorance and that's you know you can there are many other ways but this is the only way and cooking was so apt i mean you can put many number of ingredients into it until you light the fire it's not really going to be cooked no i i was totally so happy with those examples and the fire example was uh... very interesting as as you mentioned uh, uh shamla but to me in that example i think the other more equally important sort of uh, aspect was that everything else that we do in preparation for cooking is 
also important, right? And therefore, everything that we are doing currently uh, in the form of whether it is karma yoga or, or uh, you know, dhyanam or any of the other sort of yogas that we're doing, which is akin to preparation for cooking, which is getting the ingredients and putting it in a bowl and marinating and whatever else, uh, they are equally important. But obviously the key point, as you mentioned, was that all of that is good. It's all preparatory, but you need to get that self-knowledge uh, to get moksha. So that is a necessary condition. That is the only condition under which it will reach, you will get moksha. So both this ends of it, the final sort of act of heat, uh, which kind of gets you moksha, but equally the preparatory part is, is critical. And therefore, that goes back to sort of our, our, our conversation around the harmony of the yogas, that all the yogas have a role to play in terms of doing chitta shuddhi, without which you can't get to the other end. But my aha moment, frankly, uh, I looked at Shloka 1 and I found that, uh, that really beautiful because we've kind of had several uh, discussions around uh, Sadhana Chatushtayam uh, in uh, you know, different sort of uh, context uh, in Tattva and also separately. And uh, you know, some of the words kind of just stand out uh, about sort of the whole uh, idea of Vitaragi, uh, uh, Shantanam, Mumukshunam, uh, and of course, all, you know, if you have to have Vitaragi, you have to have the Viveka or the ability to distinguish between the real and the, uh, the permanent and the impermanent. And uh, this was a very nice kind of way to introduce Sadhana uh, Chatushtayam. Uh, and the first word of this uh, this Atma Bodha, which is Tapobihi, which is it is a it is about doing tapa. It is about exercising austerity in any shape or form. It doesn't. There is no sort of one way of doing it. But at some level, you have to be, do what is what what is really uh, become a, become a, a qualified student and. Uh, so this, this first verse is amazing. And I think the way Swami P sings it or, or recites it or chants it is, it just makes you sort of say, wow, this is amazing start. And then of course, all the examples start to kick in. So yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed uh, this, uh, this start. Let's, let's pause for a moment and ask, you know, maybe um, share with each other here what uh, tapa we are undertaking in our own lives to do the chitta shuddhi. That may be an interesting discussion to learn from each other in terms of what we are practicing. I think Rajesh, I would uh, say Chaturmas. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that BP. I mean, that's an obvious one. I thought this was Rajesh's <laughs> <laughs> that, that was my plug-in for the day. 
yeah, that's an obvious one, yeah, but uh, yeah. But I mean, essentially, uh, isn't tapas all about, you know, thinking uh, inside or thinking within? And, uh, and therefore, anything we do in respect of trying to understand ourselves and our self is tapas. So if we did meditation in the morning, that is tapas, I would reckon. Uh, or if you did pranayama, again, in a way sort of to focus your mind, that is tapas. Even japa would be tapas, I would reckon. And uh, anything you do in terms of restraining yourself from the material world, uh, which is Chaturmasa, is, is, is tapas. So yeah, it's, it's anything that sort of makes us look inwards uh, is tapas. Does it have to be looking inwards only? As in, is, is it an activity or it could be even be, when we spoke about those values in Gita, we said we could even pick up, say, one particular value and we will continue to you know, reflect on it, meditate on it and change ourselves. Even that's a tapa, right? Do you, do you guys consider I absolutely agree. I agree with you. Yeah. yeah. That's a big one, actually. I mean, anything that does Chitta Shuddhi mm -hmm. uh, is tapas. Anything that re reduces, as uh, explained in this verse, reduces the sinful tendencies is tapas. So you're, I think you're absolutely right. It's, it's actually, uh, I mean, in some ways, I mean, if you decide to follow your set of values, uh, that also at the end of the day, I mean, it is an external, uh, it's an external action, but it does change ourselves Internally is how I think about it. But yeah, I mean, they, it, it doesn't exclude external actions, absolutely. Krishna? Mm -hmm. uh, one thing I um, saw was like, it's the attitude with which whatever we do uh, is tapas. But a little bit uh, with the two words, tapas and yajna. So then what is the, uh, the difference? So yajna is also what you do for uh, shuddhi, antakarna shuddhi. And tapas is also what we do for shuddhi. So my uh, understanding was yajna is like any action that is uh, like this meditation or japa or dhyana and all those things. But tapas is like in this step, uh, you add some restriction. So previously I was doing this. Now I will add this restriction to better control myself. Like for example, fasting is uh, one example. Like where I say uh, normally I eat three times a day. I am going to eat only one time a day or one day I am going to skip. You add this uh, explicit restrictions and that is tapas. You deny yourself what you normally, you are used to. And that denying is out of that knowledge that you want to create the shuddhi, not, not it's forced upon you or it is compelled upon you. That's like a very important distinction that Swami always says. Uh, so when you do that on yourself, because of a higher knowledge that I need to do this, I need to stop eating sugar or I need to do this many uh, steps of exercise to be healthy. When, when you put yourself through that extra, either through restriction or through extra effort, you do something, then that becomes uh, tapas. But underlying both tapas and yajna is the common concept of uh, chitta shuddhi. I am not a doer. You eventually want to do it as a way to prepare yourself for that uh, knowledge. 
that's a great point you know i had always thought that uh, yagna was meant for uh, the larger society when i say society you know for others as in the common definition of me and others but then tapas i, I felt that it was in the definition of you know focusing more on the person itself Gita class, Gita satsang is a tapas, I guess. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Getting, getting your, getting your consistently over a period of time. You know, it's not just dropping in and dropping out like a fly one day, right? And and doing anything for one day is not is not a tapas. It has to turn the heat on and uh, make sure that you know, whatever that uh, the mental um, the uh, uh, challenges that we have or the difficulties that we have, they sort of melt away so it has to be done consistently right that's the that's the other part of tapas it's not necessarily um, doing it once or twice okay any other ideas for tapas or should we just veer off to some some other aha moment Okay, if uh, nothing on the first word, tapas, I want to go to the first word of the title itself, Atma. So from the Sanskrit department, from Swami P. Uh, so he gave actually four amazing derivations of the word Atma, which I thought I would share. Uh, so one is uh, from the word Aap, which means to pervade, yet Aapnoti iti Atma, that which pervades everywhere is Atma. Then the second definition uh, is from the root word Adha. So, yet Adate iti Atma. That which resolves everything onto itself is Atma. So, that's the uh, second one. Then the third is from the root word Atti iti Atma. That which experiences. And this art is also what leads to the word Chaitanyam. Uh, so, that which experiences everything is Atma. And then uh, the, th the fourth one is Satatam Asti or Sada Asti Iti Atma. That which exists always, everywhere uh, is Atma. So the four definitions are it's a pervader, it's the resolver, it's the experiencer and that which exists forever. That is Atma. Very nice, yeah. What was the fourth one? You said pervader, resolver, experience, and existence, right? Exists forever, yes. Yeah. Exists forever, okay. Eternal, in a way. Eternal. Eternal. Yeah, Eternal. that's that. Okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, the, another sort of uh, simple sort of explanation for Atma Bodha is it is the objective knowledge about the subject. That's an interesting one. You said objective knowledge about the subject, is it? Yeah. It is vritti jnanam because it is in the mind. It is still an object. It is it is an object. We, we are we are doing we are trying to make it an object, 
which which you cannot make an object but therefore it's an objective way to look at the subject because atma otherwise cannot be defined right so it is vritti gyanam about what is chaitanya swarupa so basically the the knowledge is knowledge is an instrument for us to understand it theoretically that's what you mean to say correct correct okay because there's a nice kind of a way to think about it that without vritti uh, or which happens in the mind vritti is a thought right without a vritti in the mind you cannot have uh, chaitanya gyanam and therefore if you are looking at transcending Uh, getting into samadhi or getting into this nirvikalp uh, you know samadhi you cannot get uh, brahma gyanam because you have no instrument to get that knowledge right so if you look at sort of the ashtanga yoga with uh, yama niyama all the way to samadhi all that is like uh, in the example of cooking it is like preparation right but you get atma gyanam only when you or you get moksha only when you have atma gyanam which none of these eight steps will get give you atma gyanam they will tell you how to do things the right way the do's and the don'ts and the focus and the concentration and everything else that is uh, in the ashta ashtanga yoga but you need atma gyanam to get moksha so it's like the fire and the preparatory side the same example that uh, that shamla started with so it it requires vritti gyanam without vritti there is no gyanam and therefore it is an objective way to understand the subject no well, very well said i i liked it i think from that same uh, explanation swami p also gives the the connection why it is not the case so he says uh, we do any karma mostly because of there's this karma that occurs because we feel incomplete for some reason and that incompleteness occurs because of the avidya that knowledge that is lacking so all these things kind of reinforce each other we do not know that we are purnaha so because of that we have something we feel we are incomplete and we need something and that gives us a desire and because of that we do a karma that is why he says any amount of karma will not because it's like Uh, he gives a very funny example the karma is the uh, the child of uh, child of uh, desire desire is the child of un- incompleteness incompleteness is the child of avidya so how can great grandmother and great grandchild be opposed to each other they will only be friends they will be reinforcing each other so you want to go 180 degrees away the other direction you have to look and the only way you do that is by the vidya the atma jnana that that no i am complete then why do i need to do anything else uh, so he he, ex- he connects those concept again with the shloka 2 and 3 where it says all those are preparatory but that final station before the atma jnana is jnana only through that you will you will get that uh, purnatva that is very nice yesterday i posted something from my vishnu sasranam class about the six seasons and the six desires i hope you had a chance to look at that mm-hmm. that was very nice actually in fact this point about uh, you know this atma gyanam being a necessary condition for moksha is 
is something which uh, you know which has been emphasized apparently in a lot of uh, you know scriptures uh, and that you know you can do anything any other sort of form of yoga but you have to get to the point where you get atmagyanam you do shravana manana nidityasana before you get there and apparently and i read this somewhere apparently there is something called a shweta upanishad i, I think I, i don't have the exact name it's shweta something shweta yeah probably that one uh, krishna which uh, apparently is not very well known and well sort of read but apparently it says that the only other way to get moksha is to roll the akasha like a carpet and you can get moksha the, i think the point that is being made is that you actually cannot roll the akasha like a carpet so there is you know it is to emphasize the fact that there is no other way of getting moksha other than atmagyanam i mean you need to do a lot of other things purify purify your mind do chitta shuddhi all that stuff is important but without atmagyana there is gyana there is no moksha and uh, even for people who are focused on say bhakti yoga or raja yoga the universe will connive at some point to give them atmagyanam before so that they can get moksha so yes bhakti yoga can get you to moksha every other yoga can get you to moksha but the final stop that you need to visit before you get to the other end is atmagyana that example was beautiful imagine rolling the space when you can't even see the air in exactly. in the space you know rolling the space hey just one more point from atma bodh word itself from me i missed part of the uh this thing so i don't know whether it was covered or not um there was an interesting point made that uh, um for karma and upasna there can be a proxy you know somebody else can do it on your behalf but for gyan it has to be self only so that's why it is called as atma bodh and just the knowledge itself is not uh, sufficient that's why not atma gyan but atma bodh because assimilation of that knowledge is is very very important so i thought that was really nice good one they go on to make fun of i mean vedanti then sometimes they make fun of other yogas right so they say how much ever you think about st- or stopping to think about a problem the problem will not go away unless you correct your thinking so i think as krishna pointed out it is a loop right i mean the whole sort of uh, you know avidya or maya and we just keep we get trapped in that loop and you got to break that loop at some point and that break will happen through atmagyana otherwise you get into that cycle of you know uh, feeling incomplete desires you do karma more desires and uh, attachments and all that sort of cycle of 60 to 63 will will play out over and over and over again and then you kind of say okay where do i break this loop and that's where i guess this this comes in so it's like completely learning a new subject right <laughs> you know something that we have never understood before or it was never there before in our repertoire of uh, learning and you have to learn a new subject and then not only just learning uh, quote and quote uh, 
intellectually you have to become that for you to get the benefit of it very well said um think swami p makes one nice point on that he says um the ancient scriptures did not consider life to be separate from attaining moksha he said that anything that that we do should be towards the moksha free from samsara and that self realization part and the word papam itself is defined as anything that obstructs you from realizing yourself is called papam and anything that helps you is called uh, punyam so the the shruti mata he says just like a mother wanting to help the child the shruti mata the vedas themselves are laid out such that it give you a very religious uh, way of life leading to self realization so while you want in the four different stages of life and so on while you while you want to have the desires and materialistic things you can go through in a very dharmic way but all of them consistently are preparing you towards for this step and then finally you you attain uh, the go to the jnana part so interesting since you're talking about the word moksha right yesterday in in my vishnu sasranamam class the teacher was telling us there are four different uh, you know uh, stages that you one would experience okay and the sequence is also very important in these four different stages let me just uh, look at my notes and read it but first i need to find my specs for that okay the first one is uh, mukti then it's mukti moksha nirvana and kaivalyam these are the four stages that people spiritual seekers will go through it now what's the difference between each one of them let me explain whatever little that i understood mukti is from all the attachments from the bandhan okay once we start experiencing that uh, detachment from the bandhans then you are already at the mukti stage then the next stage is moksha stage you not only experience the detachment of mukti but now you are beginning to enjoy the detachment and you are also beginning to uh, teach others or explain to others that's the next stage the third stage is nirvanam where you no longer are you know you are beyond mukti and moksha and even in in your family life or whatever life that you're leading any impedance you not bother it's just you are that you are at that stage and the final stage is kaivalyam where you get to a mental state where you say that there's nothing other than me that exists so these are the four stages apparently which uh, people go through it so so rajesh when we say somebody is a uh what's the word uh, jeevan mukta which of these four are we talking about i will answer it in the next class let me ask the question yeah you know I, i'm i'm just curious uh, yeah because <laughs> I, i'm not able to appreciate the subtleties between these four words to be honest. i think it's the first one in my view interesting i i thought it was the last one Yeah, even I thought okay, it was yeah, the last one. Yeah, I thought because yeah, I thought the last one. Yeah, because yeah. Uh, even in yoga sutras, the kaivalyam is the last step in yeah. um, the the final step. Yeah. Anyway, but we will wait for your answer, Rajesh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good to know, Rajesh. This is interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, so yesterday, the, yesterday the word the word in Vishnu Sahasranam was uh, sudarshana. Sudarshana means. Uh, i think with you know the, the word is pretty long meaning but basically with a lot of clarity that you can see uh, what you can see right uh, what what the reality is and these are the four stages in which the sudarshana happens to us 
very good yeah i heard uh, darshana is vision so darshana is good vision so it is with the knowledge that the lord is actually cutting and killing everything not not in a physical way there is a very nice metaphorical meaning meaning to the sudarshana chakra Bhishma, Bhishma comes this close to getting Sudarshana Chakra treatment from Arjuna, from Krishna, but he does not get it. Thanks to Arjuna. question i think you guys are listening to swami p is it because there were some sources sent out by alpana i listened to at least the swami aparajitananda i think the youtube uh, link yeah, i listened to that as well that's that's uh, that's quite comprehensive and i think i read uh, the the text that rajesh had the pdf that rajesh had shared i can't remember the name i think it was something to do with that swami ananda It's by Swami Dayananda. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was Swami Chinmay. No, this is this Chinmay is. Uh, oh, the one the reading is Chinmay Ananda. No, no, the, the the text that Rajesh sent was Reflections by Swami Guru Bhaktananda. No, yeah. I didn't. Yep. That is that is very comprehensive. I would really suggest everyone to. It's not very long. Each shloka is described in a couple of pages, and it is pretty comprehensive. I quite like that. Okay, so when did uh, I have to re-forward those? If you guys don't mind, I was yeah, Rajesh, if you can repost that, that will be helpful. Absolutely. So, so let me just uh, share just, my screen to show you how it looks. Maybe you you would have seen that. That's the one. Yeah. This is a book. Yeah. Alpana had sent this to us, along with bunch of other. Uh, you know secondary readings so this is the one that we're following right now yeah this is what we should go through because it is this is very very comprehensive so if you don't mind can somebody repost this because i was thinking that one has to go through chinmayananda ji's commentary done done hmm? thank you and uday i know that i have not sent this to you i will send it to you separately yeah thanks rajesh I have noted before the syllabus to Kaivalyam seems to be more difficult than Kaivalyam itself. Well, <laughs> <laughs> nice. actually, you know, Krishna, it's funny you say that because uh, when I was listening to Swami Aparijat, uh, I'm going to mispronounce his name. Uh, the video that Utna sent, um, I thought it was like essentially at least the first four shlokas when he was describing. it seemed like a revision of tattu bodha so and and once you and then the second thought that i came to my mind was that well if you accept that you are brahman then all these things are just uh, you know sort of uh, perfunctory because all you have to do is just realize that right and and in that sense <laughs> it seems all uh, a little you know redundant true 
actually who will realize the mind cannot realize because mind is not brahman the brahman cannot realize because brahman is brahman and doesn't have a tool to realize it so so i think that's what he says right it's not a journey there's no journey that needs to be made there is no imperfection so so yeah that is actually really comforting and at the same time it's really scary it is actually scariest part is that we lose our identity that's the scariest part because we want to know it as i i mean i want to know it yeah yeah <laughs> but i cannot know it <laughs> whenever i was reading this simplistic way of putting it i used to get affect uh, very afraid that that i would not be able to do because remember like back about 20 years ago there used to be these 3d drawings it's like this very abstract drawing but if you look in a particular way you are supposed to see a 3d object and all my family members friends they will look like in 5 10 seconds they'll be able to see i still to date confession i have not been able to see that uh, hidden object at all so <laughs> i always used to think if i don't get that aham brahmasmi moment that's it i am <laughs> screwed forever <laughs> brahman is easier than those 3d images i have to say <laughs> i i sure hope so <laughs> I sure hope they're everywhere. <laughs> That one is only from a particular angle. This yeah, one yeah, is from yeah. all angles. <laughs> It is Brahman and Brahman only. <laughs> so I was <clears throat> just on the point of uh, Atma. I was listening to a lecture on Bhajagovindam, uh, probably verse seventeen or eighteen. I can't remember. and uh, you know in the lecture they talked about what was called adi shankara's five cardinal principles uh, and uh, they go as follows the first one is that permanent happiness lasting peace and security can be achieved only through moksha and the emphasis is on only so only in capital the second one is that moksha can only be achieved through spiritual knowledge about the self the third one is that the spiritual knowledge about the self can only be achieved through systematic learning with the help of a guru and the shastras the fourth one is that you can learn about the knowledge only with a pure mind only being again emphasized and the last one is that the purification of the mind or chitta shuddhi unlike the first four have several paths and they could range from charity to japa to ishvara dhyanam to pranayama to rituals to pilgrimage to karma to bhakti you can pick your sort of path to purification but then once you have kind of you know gone on one of the paths or whatever path resonates with you then the first four are just black and white you have to go through that process and there is no other path uh, to moksha i love this uh, this is apparently adi shankaracharya's five cardinal principles amazing beautifully said amazing yeah 
Actually, in chapter 3, uh, when we read, I think it's chapter 3 only in Gita, when we get there, um, Bhagavan talks about a bunch of uh, exercises, right? You know, all these yoga, pranayama, and all those things. And he's, he describes all of them in vivid detail. Almost maybe about four or five shlokas he describes, you know, all the different parts, which is step five of what Ajay, you, you mentioned. Uh, but then he says, all those things are all preparatory steps. Yeah. Before all of all of this, of course, comes uh, Sadhana Chatushtayam, which is preparing our mind or, or, yeah. or becoming qualified to get that gyan. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Bhagavad Gita also, I think in multiple chapters, the, the three things that are always specified are uh, tapas, dana, and yajna. These three things we are never supposed to give up. And we keep on doing that until we get that full shuddhi and then the, the, the guru scriptures, jnana, and then the realization happens. Aham Brahmasmi. Can say that again? Tapas, dhanam, and jnanam, is it? Yajna, yajna. Yajna, sorry. sorry. Yeah. I heard another uh, funny connection about uh, Bhagavad Gita. So what is the essence of Gita? And Swami P says it's in the word Gita itself. If you say the word very fast, Gita, 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 it becomes Tagi, which is Tyagi. So you renounce everything, then you get self-realization. Renouncing in the sense here, I am the doer, I am the experiencer. If you renounce those two, then you get self-realization. So interesting, you know, yesterday I went out for, uh, I must tell you this yesterday, I went out for, uh, uh, you know, a, a meetup with a couple of people who were doing Satyanana Puja at home and, uh, you know, there were a lot of people. And of course, the conversation steered into, you know, um, what do you do and what do you do for a living and what do you do for otherwise and all that stuff. And when I told them that I meditate, the questions that I, that I got was, so if you meditate, do you know the future? Then do you know what would Modi would do? Do you know, you know, uh, uh, do you know if uh, uh, in the next election, who will win here in, in California? I said, you know, I will not know about all those things. And even if I want to know, I'm not interested to know. He said, no, that will be very good to, you know, know and, uh, uh, you know, it will improve the society and all. I said, no, it does not matter. They just could not uh, understand that, you know, for some people, it may not be important to meditate on those aspects. So just on that uh, Gita Tagi point, Krishna, I mean, in the whole of chapter two of the Gita, the one sort of comment that Alpana, I think, had made, which was the biggest aha moment for me, frankly, uh, was who is a Tyagi? And we tend to say that anyone who has, uh, you know, done tyag of the material world and become a sannyasi is a tyagi. And I think, Alpana, you explained it beautifully. I can't, I can't, do, I can't repeat it. But the, real, but the real tyagi is, I mean, the, the, the real tyagi is us. Because we have done tyag of the ultimate Brahman by not understanding Brahman. Right? If you, if you just kind of turn it around, and I think, Alpana, you had made the point beautifully. I can't, I can't sort of replicate it. But we are the tyagis. Because we are not kind of recognizing that ultimate Brahman. Whereas the Tyagi who knows Brahman is not a Tyagi because he's not his actual self. To me, that was like that one sort of massive aha moment that was there in chapter two. Tyagi means you are you know, voluntarily giving up, right? So today the state we are 
how can we call ourselves tyagis? This is like totally ignorance and condition. No, we are tyagis, Shamla, because we have done tyag of the ultimate Brahman. We called a sannyasi as tyagi typically, right? Because he has let go of the material world. Whereas we have let go of something far more valuable, which is the spiritual, you know, uh, Brahman. Yeah. It's, so, a tongue, it's a nice tongue-in-cheek. It's tongue-in-cheek. It's beautiful. I mean, if you think about it, that is in some ways the essence of a lot of the spiritual stuff. Atma Bodha is all about that in some ways. That what is it that you are doing tyag of? Uh, don't tyag spirituality. Tyag, in, you know, yeah, I, I, you guys get the point. I think the story goes something like a spiritual person visits a village, everybody goes to worship him and then says, so he's a very big tyagi, he has renounced everything and uh, he used to be very famous, he used to be very rich, he used to be powerful, he's given all that up to become the sannyasi. And then he says, you are all the bigger tyagis, I gave up all the finite to go to the infinite, you are all giving up the infinite to stick on to the finite stuff. Exactly. Thank you for that. Sorry. <laughs> Ajay, uh, a question based on what you just said about the five uh, 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 parts, right? About or the five layers, or five steps, if you will. So um, if, you, if you go to the fifth one, let's say the bottommost one, I mean, it seems like a pyramid to me in the sense most of the work will happen at the bottom one, which is, uh, which is around purity of the mind or purification rather. And even below, which is the, uh, you know, to get to that stage in the first place. And most of us uh, and most of humanity is also in that space, right? So, is, um, you know, uh, does, does it mean that I am posing it as a question because to the group, I mean, uh, uh, is it then possible uh, a lot of the work around whether it's uh, following yamas and yamas or the value of values, the 20 values that are specified, those have to be practiced again and again and again to actually get to a certain level of clarity before we can move on to, um, to understanding the scriptures more thoroughly, right? And so on, which eventually leads to uh, the knowledge. Uh, so in other words, most of the work is at the bottom, isn't it? I mean, I, I'm just, I know it's a rhetorical question, but I'm, I'm just posing it as that for the group. Um, and, you know, so in, in that sense, we are, in some ways, we are getting a lot of the top-down thing as well through our studies and whatnot. But a lot of our individual work uh, definitely goes at the bottom. Yeah, I would think so. I would think so. I mean, I, I think, you know, we are kind of definitely at a point where we're trying to become, you know, get, our, get ourselves purified. And, uh, you know, if you think about sort of the process of... Uh, of Jnana Yoga, I think we're all sort of, you know, in that sort of first two steps of Shravana and Mananam. And it is, you know, at least in my mind, I feel that you cannot do Nididhyasanam effectively if you have not purified your mind through that last step in the pyramid, at the bottom step, the step of the pyramid, because without a pure mind, it probably is not going to be possible to uh, right. to do nididhyasana. And for the long for, for 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 some time, not long time, but for some time, I was in this kind of zone where I said, "Why do I need to go through this karma yoga and everything else?" And you know, why can't I mean I understand this who am I kind of thing now, intellectually, and why can't I get to 
sort of the third stage Nididhyasana without having to go through anything else. Uh, but increasingly, I'm now kind of becoming aware that, you know, that step will not happen until you have got to a certain stage with respect yeah. to your, your last step, last or bottom step, bottom step. Right. I think there was Anna. Sorry, Krishna, maybe you meant uh, to say the same thing, but there was some talk, uh, some phrase used by, I don't know which Swamiji, but they said, uh, um, knowledge is incomplete, you know, or is it the other way around? Yeah, it's incomplete without um, without this practice, but then um, uh, the th- theory is the impossible. Other the other way around. Karma yoga <laughs> is incomplete without jnana yoga, jnana yoga is impossible. With possible karma without karma yoga, right. And you can also treat it as theory and practice in some ways. Uh, and you can replace karma yoga and jnana yoga as theory and practice today. So. When you take practices like meditation, are they part of nididhyasana? I mean, obviously you're not able to do it effectively or that's like completely after you've turned this all into conviction. Is there a separation? So nididhyasana is about sadhana, right? So even an ongoing steps like that, do they contribute to that phase? No, or... My opinion, uh, from what I understand, Nidityasana um, happens during meditation too. There are contemplation meditations, Vedantic meditation, where you contemplate on on this, right, on on the on the eye, in the sense of not in terms of the thought, but to eventually get to that point where you experience only the awareness. So, in some ways, you again, I can't use the word experience either, but once you go through that, you know it provides a, a little more conviction, right? Uh, that adds to the uh, to what we have read, what we have assimilated. So Nidhityasana happens uh, through uh, meditation. What, what do others think about this? Yeah, uh, so uh, let me take a shot at it, right? I think, um, you know, uh, meditation as a word, first of all, we have to abolish in our dictionary, okay? It's like, um, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to use this word. It's a very bastardized word. So uh, it's terrible, terrible. So um, Nididhyasanam is the final stage. And that's when the mind dissolves finally, when the final output of that mind dissolves and then the self shines automatically. Uh, but before that, to do that to, as a preparatory step, the one of the most important things that people do especially who have uh, understood uh, uh, Gita and, and then follow the Gita is Japa, right? Japa is also in, in another words, quote unquote, the M word. I'm not going to use that M word again in, the, in, this, uh, um, uh, in this discussion here. Japa is, is, is like uh, the way that I think about it is, you know, every day you start doing it, it's like a tapaha, right? And, you know, uh, I have this analogy in my mind that's, that helps me to in understand this. So um, there's a big iceberg, right? Maybe about 5% of the iceberg is, is above the water that we can see. 95% is below the water. The 5% is what you can change with your karma yoga and all those practices. That is, the, that is our mind, the known what we know. Okay, oh, I think, I think I'm, I'm not being generous enough. I'm not being kind enough. I have uh, you know, foul speech, so I'm going to make those changes. That, that's all known. But what is unknown, it will keep coming up to the surface. That's this 95% in the, below the water, in the pyramid. And that, for it to come to surface, for you to recognize and then do it, you know, whether either sitting through and figuring out, oh, I think I, I lack in this, I need to fix that, I lack in that, I need to change my attitude towards this, 
that will take a long time the simpler way is to put a fire underneath that big uh, uh, 95% of the iceberg and that's the tapaha which is and and in gita it says the simplest way in kali yuga for you to get to that stage of moksha is japaha so spending a few minutes every day with your favorite uh, mantra and then repeating it on and on will melt this iceberg suddenly and it is it's a fast path an accelerated path towards getting to nididhyasana and now what exactly is nididhyasana right nididhyasana at the end of the day uh, you know uh, i don't remember where i read this and maybe you know we discussed this in this gd itself uh, any uh, perception of an object from an external world in our mind can happen only in two ways uh, because of two conditions the first condition is a thought should come in into our mind and then somebody sh- should recognize and illuminate the thought within our mind okay so if you see a flower then it the impression comes into the mind and that's a thought that's called a vritti and another you know thought shines that okay oh this is a flower right otherwise you cannot recognize for example if if even if you take a, a flower in front of a person who is you know brain dead or a coma you know he will not know what it is or maybe he knows none of us will know that so but when it comes to the final stage of nididhyasana you know i like the word ajay what you use the objectifying the subject right when you said about uh, brahman so the brahman is objectified in our mind through this learning okay and then you are imagining that particular thing but then because it is so it is self revealing you don't need that second light so to say you know oh this is brahman automatically you will be able to know that that's the stage that you that gets to that right and that is nididhyasana so you are you are meditating on a, on an on a on a object i'm using the word uh, loosely on an object called as brahman at that point of time right and where you don't need the second thought of the illuminator consciousness to illuminate it because it is consciousness itself but be, before that anything else that you would do is all meditating on an object if you do japa of an the japa or if you do you know value change meditation or if you do pranayama or if you do anything there is an object attached to it always that if i confused or if i clarified it now see nididhyasana my thought was a process but the way you explain and i may be getting confused here is more of an outcome if it's an outcome then what is enlightenment no we are you are enlightened the moment you know that who you are okay even if theoretically if you know that you are you are brahman you are enlightened but the point is the benefits of enlightenment would not come to us because we have not realized it so that is the process acceptance that you are the brahman is a very difficult thing second thing is acceptance and then absorbing it is a, is a very difficult thing those are the two steps that follow in in nididhyasana I I lost you on this uh, on the the you said vritti which is the thought. What is the second thing you said? Illuminator. Illuminator. A light source think, within your mind to say that. I can give okay. an example. Yeah. It, it's in Sanskrit. It is vritti vyapti and phala vyapti. 
So for any object to be seen, first the mind actually takes the shape of that, but that only removes that there is something there. But what is it there is has to be illumined by something. And that is known as Fallavyapti. So if you, in a say in a dark room, there are two lamps kept covered by pots. One lamp is lit, the other one is not lit. And they're covered by two earthen pots. If you go in and break the pot, which is over an unlightened lamp, you need another light to show that it is a lamp. So that's why you need two processes. One is to break the up, upper covering, which is known as Vritti Vyapti. And then you need a light, a source of light to see that. That is Fala Vyapti. So you need two, so there are two things involved whenever you see any object or perceive any object. One is to see that there is something and then the specific things what it is. So these are the two steps which are involved. They are known as Vritti Vyapti and Fala Vyapti. But in case of the second one, what happens is when as soon as you break the upper pot, the lit lamp reveals itself. So you don't need that Fala Vyapti because it is self-illuminating. So that's how the Brahman is. When your mind will do, it is known as Brahmakar Vritti. So that Brahmakar Vritti needs to happen, which is what he was referring to as you need to have that thought of Brahman. When the Brahman is objectified is a wrong word, but there's no other way to explain it. It'll, it'll actually become Brahmakar. But because Brahman is self-revealing, there is nothing which will illuminate it. It will self-reveal. And that is enlightenment. So is, is, uh, is uh, sorry, the second one was Falavyapti. Uh, Falavyapti is, is not required for, Brahm, for the Brahman, for seeing Brahman. Because and, it's self-illumined. Is Palavyapti the same as reflective consciousness? It is actually. It is uh, it is the reflective reflective consciousness actually which brings it, yes. So you're saying that for everything else you need both Vritti Vyapti and Palavyapti. Correct. But for Brahman you obviously don't need. You don't need it. Yeah, yeah you don't need either or you need you still need Vritti Vyapti because you need to understand it. So it is, that's why it is termed as Brahmakar Vritti because it is not an object which is getting Vyapta. So that's why you don't call it Vritti Vyapti, but it is similar. No, thank you for that. That's so in some sense, let's say that, you know, instead of saying, you know, Om Namah Shivaya, let's say you're meditating on Om Namah Shivaya, there's a picture, there's an image of, you know, uh, Shiva that you meditate on but when you say aham brahmasmi and you meditate on it you're not repeating it like rote all the learning right from tattva bodha to gita to all the upanishads it's crash course into that particular thing and then you have to you know go through that like like speed it is, it is the one which uh, swami spg says right drop that blankness and the one which is watching the blackness and take mm. a 180 degree turn and you'll see the so that 180 yeah. degree turn is what the Brahmakar Vritti supposedly will be. <laughs> so, so Alpana, uh, if I if I if I may uh, kind of rephrase it or say it again, so I, I understand it. So, um, when we meditate, for instance, you start with obviously uh, uh, going from many thoughts to one thought. I, I'm, I'm using the Dharana uh, uh, path here. So. Uh, whether it's a mantra or whether a japa or any other breath or it doesn't matter, one of those, bring it down to one. And at some point, you're, um, it evolves in, in such a way that there is only that object. 
right? The object of meditation in this case, let's say this japa, right? Only the japa is ringing. Uh, and slowly uh, the eye goes down initially, right? At some point it evolves into uh, a more deeper form of meditation and, that, and even more higher form, even that object of meditation goes away and there is only awareness, right? Um, I, I, so, but that you don't need that, that you, you know it all because that is the one that is knowing everything. So in other words, that's self-illumining. Would you, um, if I were to explain it in this way, am I saying the same thing as what you're explaining as self-illuminating, right? Which is that, that when only the awareness remains, you, you don't need anything else to tell you that you, there is awareness because that, that's the one that is actually illuminating everything else. I'm not 100% sure, but, okay. but it could be, yes. I think it is different, but I'm not 100% sure. Okay. Yeah. Because uh, I think that, or from what my, my experience from even meditation is, it is still awareness of the blankness. And that is when you have to drop both one which is aware of that blankness, both of them you have to drop together. Yeah. That's Probably. just the last one flip is one step. Yeah. yeah. It's just and, one and that's step. the turn because you're yeah. already always looking out on Correct. the object. And at some point right. you turn it and the one who is the seer and yeah. uh, at, at which one you like, there is no actual turning, but in the right. sense of maybe that yeah. you just remain uh, as that right. uh, seer. Right. right. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> We don't want to use the M word. What, what, what should we as a group use instead of the M word? Is it Dhyana, 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 Dhyana Japa. Dhyana is better. Dhyana is better. Yeah. Let's use the word. Yeah. Because people have totally misconception about this M word. And, you know, especially in the West, it's terrible. And the way that everybody sits for five minutes and they're, they're Ming. Yes. So, uh, uh, Rajesh, uh, just a point here based on what uh, uh, my understanding is. I mean, Dhyan, I mean, Dhyan is the is right, uh, good word to use. Um, I'm wondering, see, Japa is one, one way, right? I mean, I, there are other ways like just being able to observe your mind and so on. Whether it's, um, again, I'm, I'm not going to give it a category or name and stuff like that, but that's one way. But the whole point being, um, can we get the thoughts uh, to one thing? From, from many, which is a typical, uh, normally it's like having a flashlight uh, inside a dark room. It's, it's obviously this person, it's, it's showing too many things, but then can we convert that into like a laser pointer where it's just pointing at one thing, right? So in that sense, that would be Diana to me, to be able to get to that one pointedness and from which uh, obviously it evolves, right? Whether yeah. how you get to that one pointedness, uh, depends on uh, I me mean, that that's just how i understand it yeah, that that's fine that's absolutely fine what i'm saying is that you know those are all concentration and focus and all those things is all fine but ultimately the object of meditation in nidhi dhyasanam the object of m sorry i apologize object of m is brahma karavritti One thing which I wanted to just add, sorry, Sri, I know you raised your hand, but this was the, to the discussion we had before um, on about the karma yoga. I think that is definitely one great path for purification, but jnana itself is also, uh, you know, 
it can also purify. So you don't, I mean, little bit of karma yoga definitely helps to at least get interested in getting the gyan. But as per scriptures, gyan is the best, is the best is not the right word. It is also a great purifier. So it can also purify just the gyan itself. Let's get to Sri now. Sri and VP Rajeshri. Yeah, my question was uh, regarding your uh, uh, commentary on uh, Japa, right? Is one of the ultimate ways of uh, reaching uh, inner divine. Um, so I know like this uh, resonates with uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's philosophy where they do the uh, uh, Hari Rama, Hare Krishna, the, the chant they keep repeating. So is Japa, is it chanting while you do your like it's like focused chanting, sitting in one place, almost like a going into a, like a connection or could that be a mindless chanting while doing, well, the mindless is quote unquote, while doing your day-to-day -day activities. For example, if I'm just cooking and I'm chanting and if I'm folding clothes and chanting, is that also considered Japa? And the other question uh, off track of that is like, what's the difference between Japa and Kirtana? Because a lot of the Japas that people usually do, they do it in the form of a tune, uh, something like that that keeps them much more focused rather than from distraction into a song. Like so, just want to understand those differences. Great question. You know, this is how I understood it. I think uh, you can do japa anytime, anywhere. Okay, but uh, efficacy could be a question in terms of you know if you're doing cooking and if you're doing uh, japa, that's maybe efficacy is let's say one. If you're just sitting down and just doing japa, efficacy could be maybe five or ten. I'm just using some numbers randomly just to prove 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 my idea, right? What I'm saying. Uh, that's 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 one way of looking at it. Now, the difference between Kirtan and Japa is that the way that I've understood is Japa is an individualistic activity and Kirtan is a group activity. And you can sing it aloud. You can, uh, Kirtan is praising, praising the object of your prayer. Okay, Japa is repeating, repeating the name of the object of your, um, uh, of your uh, focus, of your attention. Thanks. That's why Vishnu Sasranamam is also a Japa and also a Kirtana. If you go to the six questions, right? Krishna, you are doing the course, right, with uh, Dushyant. He's in that six, he says it's Japam. It's uh, it's uh, if you chant Vishnu Sasranamam, it is Kirtan and it's everything, yeah, all inclusive. VP. Yeah. So uh, you know, I was I was just going back to uh, what we were discussing initially about Atman Bodha, and uh, we were saying that the ultimate stage is the Gyan Yoga. But then Swami SPG has said in some of his lectures that you know you can go through these different paths, and uh, Bhakti Yoga being one of them. So I am then confused that is there a contradiction in what you he's saying and what Atman Bodha is saying, or is there something? Uh, something I'm missing in that. I can. My... Sorry, go ahead, Ajay. Go ahead, Alpana. That's fine. No, I was saying that uh, as uh, Ramakrishna Paramhan said, because he was mainly in the bhakti path initially, right? Right. That mm -hmm. whatever is to be known, Kali told me. So at the end, you will get the gyan, whether God comes and gives it or not. So eventually the liberation will happen through gyan because the ignorance needs to go away. 
whether it comes through just reading scriptures and trying to get the gyan yourself or the guru gives you or the god gives you it doesn't matter <clears throat> so eventually even on the bhakti mark it is the gyan which you get from so even you know krishna and during gita he keeps saying you come to me and i will give you the gyan right right so no, so, so, so then then the then then can we say that you know uh, like let's say if you are doing bhakti yoga or if you are practicing bhakti yoga then yeah. you are doing a lot lot of it and then the gyan yoga is a small portion at the end just to close the deal if you will uh, <laughs> whereas in gyan yoga it's like a you know much longer track that you have to go through to get to the end i'm just trying to figure this out in my head gyan yoga is just i am brahmasmi just one statement <laughs> what shorter than that it can be <laughs> it's all about yeah, no, but, no it's all but about we are talking deep. about go ahead ajay i was going to say uh, it's at the end of the day it's all about purification of the of the self right of the mind and uh, you know karma yoga is a path and you know if you've done bhakti yoga for a long time and you are sort of established in sort of uh, god then as atma was saying you know because your mind has been purified through bhakti yoga your your path from you know ignorance to knowledge is probably shorter i would i would think as so opposed to that's exactly what i was trying to clarify yeah yeah i think that's yeah. what you're saying so similarly if you for example in if i go the gyana way and i start with gyana right. yoga and if my mind is not clear i'm not going to get that sort of spark uh, and kind of it will not take right. me into that next zone so at the end of the day you have to go through that sort of uh, that that's that step of purification i think it's a, it depends on the temperament so hmm. in my view bhakti to get to that uh, surrender will take a lot longer time than just reading the scripture and maybe getting the gyan but yeah it's yeah. i think all different time timings are possible whether it is going through bhakti you can immediately surrender and get it and you can be done with it or you can take a long time similarly with gyan also you can take a long time and never get it or get it but again time instantaneously is, yeah <laughs> what is yeah. time time doesn't exist so doesn't matter whether you take yeah. a long time vp i like the uh, the simplicity of the gyan yoga to the uh, you have your phd thesis and you are clicking submit once the thesis is submitted you get your phd but that action is only clicking the submit but to get to that thesis part you do your elementary school high school college do a research topic and prepare everything write the pdf and then you Wonderful. click submit you cannot say can i directly click that one button and get submit right no, but krishna that's actually a good point because then can't you do a phd in bhakti yoga or in karma yoga and then yeah. get to the same you can thing, totally the button, totally right yeah, totally. yeah. okay right. so no that that helps that helps thank you yep 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 actually swami p just one point on that he says everything else you can kind of think of it as karma because in vedanta even thought is a karma right so you are doing japa you are doing mm-hmm. bhakti you are doing everything everything just becomes karma so that's like only two things karma yoga everything and then jnana yoga the, the flip mm-hmm. okay. thank you yeah thanks rajesh just one comment on the question uh, two comments actually one on the question from rajesh the way i understand even my the way my guru articulated this is uh, you can start with bhakti 
or you can start with nyana it's more of a predicament right you have the head or the heart but the, when the flip happens there is nyana when somebody starts with bhakti he will be enveloped in nyana and then the flip happens when somebody starts with nyana he will be totally immersed in bhakti and the flip happens it unless and i's given a beautiful example it's like the ganga is the normally the nyana nyana river of nyana yamuna is the river of bhakti and saraswati which is hidden both of them go underground so both of them converge and go underground and then the nyana lights up so that's why somebody who's enlightened will always be an epitome of bhakti and also will be an epitome of nyana a great example in fact that my guru talked about is vivekananda there's a beautiful incident in his life see vivekananda was an intellectual when he started his journey right but uh, even though he comes across as intellectual he is an ultimate bhakti of ramakrishna you can never see anybody if you really subtly watch his life read about it the bhakti of ramakrishna is kind of epitome in his life and there's an incident where ramakrishna is sitting with his disciples it is not a mango season right uh, he says can somebody get me mango right just he just makes a statement there's a bunch of like about how about seven eight disciples sitting in front of him he says can somebody get me a mango and it's not a mango season uh, vivekananda just jumps up and then goes out and comes back with the mango right all the other disciples are like intellectual oh, this is not a mango season where will i get mango kind of they all go through that process but vivekananda has no thought he gets up goes out and comes mango and somebody then asked him how did you i mean it's not even mango season we are all sitting here uh how are you doing it he says when ramakrishna asked for mango i know there is mango that's all it's guru bhakti right see this is the subtlety of the journey right so you cannot even though it is you can start anywhere but for that incomplete knowledge to become complete the, in, the immersion has to happen into the other and without that it will not be a complete jnana expression i mean you know the enlightenment cannot flower uh, that's one clarification he gave that whichever path you start it has to converge and the saraswati is going in is basically that's the last uh, 360 or the 180 degree turn or whatever people have been talking about that happens and that's generally just a grace the flip is just a grace it's not a it's not an action can give it uh, nor can bhakti just purely give it the last flip is just a guru bhakti or guru's grace is generally if you're studying with the guru it's a guru's grace at that point uh, just a clarification that's one comment um the second comment was around can i do chanting sit and chant or can i like doing work and undercurrent chant uh, both are very efficient right even though there's a popular belief that what i my understanding is both are equally good because the the what the, when you are when you are uh, chanting with your working doing something else your undercurrent purifying your thought system right otherwise you're going to be thinking you're going to be worrying you're going to be doing other things uh, uh, when you're working but when you are filling that with krishna or any name ja- nama japa you are purifying by default a lower current thought current a subconscious uh, slower level thought current because we always have a thought current right and the predominant whatever action we do but there's an undercurrent thought current you're constantly purifying your thought current so both are equally effective uh, if you can sit and do japa do it but otherwise even otherwise if you can have krishna as your undercurrent slowly it will purify a lot of things that we don't even grasp intellectually just just two comments there beautifully said muku thank you for that i like the ganga yamuna saraswati analogy and and vp you know just to um, you know uh, 
share my thought on on your question regarding bhakti and gyana yoga right i think the fine the one one other way of looking at it is you know in bhakti if let's say one person follows the bhakti yoga and reaches quote and quote that particular state where he has uh, uh, is enlightened i think there still remains two entities he he or she and the bhagwan then gyana yoga is to merge both of these things together like what mukku used the word correctly you know ganga and yamuna merging into saraswati Yeah. there is no two at after that yeah. and uh, i also wanted to just add one thing so even though i keep uh, harping on gyana yoga actually once you understand the the gyan part the bhakti and the karma that comes out of it is actually true bhakti yoga and uh, karma yoga because when you understand so even when you understand that brahman is one as long as this i is there the god is the best entity so then the bhakti that develops out of that understanding is a total surrender It's similarly when you understand there is just one the karma yoga that you can do for the benefit of others is of a better quality and that's why to me uh, if you understand the gyan part of it you will be able to do the bo- other both much better rather than trying them to reach the gyan part try it other way around have this understanding that conviction it will give you the best bhakti and the best karma yoga you write that nine in a in a in a way sort of you know from a sort of a slightly scientific approach or a logical approach i think understanding that end goal of gyana yes. certainly helps i mean particularly for uh, you know a lot of youngsters the modern kind of thinkers who need to understand the full story they just can't do have can't have sort of what's called blind faith and uh, and just kind of uh, you know on the example that muku gave uh, vp i mean this you know spg kind of gives this example uh, or he, he narrates this very often about shri ramakrishna and vivekananda and he says shri ramakrishna who was a follower of kali was bhakti yoga you know from the outside so if you see him he was all bhakti i mean he would cry he would he would be just a devoted uh, you know disciple of of kali but within himself he was all gyan and on the other hand vivekananda who obviously kind of gave this wonderful speeches and you know in chicago and other places he was gyana all around i mean he was like somebody who was gyana but in deep within it was he was he was deeply a bhakti guy and uh, and and this this example that muku gave of him sort of you know running to get the mango it's all bhakti i mean he was totally kind of devoted to his guru and uh, he would just kind of say i need to get a mango i'll get it in what in whichever way i can so in a way sort of both of them work in conjunction with each other and these are two wonderful examples of that okay did we lose the plot of verses 1 to 4 of our uh, uh, of our uh, atma buddha text who cares <laughs> I just wanted to add an aha moment from one through four text. Uh, what I really liked is uh, Swami. Um, I think Aparajita Nanda said, "Detached from unreal and attached to real," and that really speaks about what right now Ajay and Nalpana and Muku said. You know, whichever way you go, whether it's Gyan Yoga or Bhakti Yoga or Karma Yoga. you just 
detached from unreal and attached to real and that's what was aha moment for me yeah that's great yeah nice. like yeah so just a just a sanskrit moment uh, krishna i'm going to kind of need your help maybe but in in verse 4 it says avachinna eva and avachinna is basically limitation right and the word eva actually means uh, as though or appearing right and you know it's it's a nice kind of play of words because the fact that we are incomplete or we have limitation is actually an appearance which is the word <coughs> which is the word eva and so even in the shloka he is kind of using the word eva to emphasize the fact that you know while we can talk about limitation please understand that it is it is only an appearance so that was one sort of interesting nugget and then of course the whole example of the sun and the cloud and the and the wind was was powerful i mean the analogy about the sun being the ultimate brahman the cloud being the ignorance which is perpetuated by karma and cycle of desires and and mode limitations and uh, borrow your phrase uh, alpana the wind is actually the brahmakara vritti which blows the ignorance away and allows the sun to shine through and i like where they add that you know the cloud is so little it cannot cover the sun but it only covers our eyes or our vision yes. <laughs> can i can i just take a digression and can i want to point out one thing when ajay when you mentioned about eva i noticed one thing i want to i want to you know talk about the the need for proper pronunciation in sanskrit can i just share my thought on that okay let me just share my screen back and uh, okay can you see my screen now yes okay let me just make it slightly bigger okay so this text right is so beautiful because here in each of the uh, you know if if you look at this sanskrit shloka this has got four parts we know that there are four parts when you break it and they have broken it as four parts here okay and avachin first one is avachinna eva agnanath okay till till here it comes as a i mean till here it is the first first part okay now if you if you did not have this 1 2 3 4 you know it i would have read it like this avachinna eva gyanath okay rather than agyanath yes now then i would have got confused right because i'm not saying that word properly okay what does it mean even if i know eva means um, uh, appearance and avachinna means uh, finite and all that stuff then i would have said appearing as finite because of knowledge that's how we have misinterpreted it okay and then second thing is when you're reading it in sanskrit also avachinna eva now you read this eva gyanath only it comes but then the pronunciation is avachinna eva gyanath then that agyanath comes in that's why it's very very important to learn the pronunciation in the right way otherwise we'll end up making a mistake Yeah, nice example, Rajesh. Yeah, I like it. 
I have a question here. Uh, I noticed that there is a variation of parichin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say too. <laughs> um, because the way um, I think uh, uh, Swami Aparajitananda says is on the other portion of it, not the um, avichinna, but uh, parichinna. So I was not sure which, how how do we take it? Like, is it the same word or is it the meaning is same or not? Both the meaning is same because it says the variation is parichin even in what uh, uh, Rajesh was sharing. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, there are different texts available. Some say avichin, but both are same. Avichin and parichin. Parichin is uh, uh, limited by, so by space time, oh, and that's how he explains, right? Avichin right, is right. Yeah. Okay. So uh, my, my, my request is, you know, when you're reading the Sanskrit uh, verse, verses, please, you know, listen to that carefully and then repeat it in your, in your mind. Otherwise, you know, you'll make the mistake and that, that can take you off track for a long time. Sorry, Krishna, I interrupted you. Oh, no, no. Uh, just on that, like one word thing that makes a big difference. Eva's appearance and then the first shloka, the Eva. And Shankaracharya is very fond of it. Eva means only. He is very definite about it. Jnana is the only way. Um, on on the another point, like in Swami P's uh, book that I'll link to, uh, in the introduction, he says, a, he has a very nice explanation. I'll let you read, but he goes about asking what sorrow really is. Why do we feel this incompleteness? Why sorrowness occurs? And it is because of like, we think, oh, somebody is gone or something is gone or something did not happen. And we very quickly associate with, this is sorrow. But he goes on to explain how if you deeply look, that earlier you thought you were very happy, you were complete in, in, our, in our limited way of understanding. And once this, either this thing did not happen or I did not get or what I had is gone, then we feel incomplete. And that is the reason for the sorrow. And he goes on to explain that as long as we keep attaching to finite things, there will always be this thing. Adding any more finite things to this will never make it infinite. You need that infinite to be added to go to infinity and the Purnatham. That was beautifully explained. I just wanted to share on that, uh, Krishna. Every day I, I recite uh, Purusha Suttam and there is a beautiful phrase where it, it describes um, the Brahma or Brahman to be finite within us and infinite everywhere. And every time I, I think of that, it's just so beautiful. And that brings all the calmness and it's just you can see uh, from bacteria to the whole universe as so beautiful. It, it's, beautiful. I don't know how well to said. express that, but it's it's just amazing. Very well said. Purusha Shruktam actually has that line too. Na anyaf panta ayanaya vidyate. Yes. There is no Correct. other way but knowledge. Yeah. Yeah, it's the same kind of thing about love and attachment, which is kind of causing the whole sorrow you know, cycle. We think we are, we love our near and dear ones. The fact remains, we've discussed this before. The fact remains that it is, it is attachment. Uh, it is uh, dependence that, that drives that sorrow or otherwise. Swami P also connects to Vishnu Sahasranama. If you say 
uh, in the dhyanam then he generally makes a joke saying like dhyanam is supposed to be in the mind when when that spot comes dhyanam and then you start saying shantakaram bhujgasainam all those things it's supposed to be in the mind and you are supposed to visualize but we chant that also at rajdhani express speed and then get very quickly done and then go to vishwam vishnu vashakara all those things uh, but he makes a very nice uh, delineation there if you if you dhyanam on the shantakaram bhujgasainam you are uh, doing uh, one god's image but if you then go to the next part and bhu pado yasya navir vedasarachala and all that part then you are doing the vishwarupa dhyanam yeah all right we are at sharp 730 today should we pause here and uh, uh, i i did not look for, look ahead after verse 4 maybe if any one of you can guide alpana if you anyone can guide what should be the next shlokas that will be helpful for next week one thing i like is the pdf at sections so should we just go to the next section of like four or five but i think we left one the the first section as uh, one more that's pending the introductory yeah, four Yeah, five is part of the same. Six yep. to nine. It should be okay. five to nine. Yeah. So five should we? To, uh, the second, uh, if I, if we are following Aparajitananda ji's one, it is four to ten. So he repeats a little bit of four in the second lecture, and it goes till ten. Yeah, we can do that. No, no. My my request is let's use this. Uh, uh, textbook as a common reference for us you know we can uh, from a from a for following perspective so the text what i flashed sometime back that one has till 9 in chapter 3 yeah so should we do till 9 okay 5 to 9 all right okay okay cool all right so i i will uh, resend this document to all of you and also to udai and uh, we will do 5 to 9 next next week okay with that we'll conclude with the prayer om sarve bhavantu sukhinah sarve santu niramayah sarve bhadrani pashyantu ma kaschid dukkha bhaga bhavet om shanti 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 he shri gurubhyo namaha Arihiyo. All right. Enjoy your rest of your Sunday, and see you next week. Arihiyo. Thank you. Arihiyo. Arihiyo. Bye bye. Bye. Thanks, folks. Bye.